Well, to be a Christian is in large part to be a person who has received great promises from God. So, so if you're walking around the earth as a Christian and you're wondering, like, who am I really at the core? What am I? A big part of that question. You are somebody that God has made great promises to. You have received those promises and you're living now in response to them and waiting for many of them to come true, even as you enjoy the blessings of many of them right now. And so you are essentially living, and I am living, in response to promises God has made to us. And that's a pattern we see a lot in the Bible. Promises made people living in response to it. Uh, you can think of books like Romans or Ephesians in the New Testament. The whole book follows that pattern. You know, four, five, 10, 12, or 11 in the case of Romans, chapters of great promises God is making to us. And then closing chapters on here's how we live in response to that. And some of the stories in the Bible have that same pattern to them. God makes promises, person lives in response to those promises. And the reason I'm telling you that is today's story is one of those promise, one of those stories. It has that pattern of God making promises and then people living in light of those promises. Today's story is about a man named Jacob that we've been learning a lot about lately. He is the father of the nation of Israel. Everyone in Israel looks up to him, calls him father. They are his descendants. And as such, he kind of represents the people of God. And he is going to have a profound experience in this story where God's going to make him promises. And then he's going to respond and dedicate a certain way he is going to live because of those promises. And so what we're going to do is we're, we're going to split that right down the middle. And this morning, we're going to look at the great vision that Jacob has and the great promises he receives. And we're just going to ask God, what, what are you promising us through that dream? Like, how wonderful, how great are your promises, God? That's the question we're asking today. And then next week, we're going to come back and we're going to analyze Jacob's response to it and see how Jacob is modeling for us the right way for Christians to respond to the great promises God made. So same pattern, promises today, our response next week. The setup for this story, if you haven't been here in the past weeks or if you need a review, the setup is essentially that Jacob has become now the great heir of one of the most wealthy houses and families alive in that day. Uh, so this would be like inheriting the fortune of Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or somebody like that. He has become the sole heir and he has done it through great trickery and deception. And so because of that, uh, his brother hates him so much that he wants to kill him. So, so Jacob has received a great inheritance. He is one of the most powerful men in the world now. He's the head of his house. But he has severed all his relationships in the process. And as a result, he has to run away from all of it. He runs out into the wilderness. He comes to a place that we'll, we'll learn late in the story what it is, but it's just in the middle of nowhere. And there's this great irony right now that here he is, the recipient of all of the wealth, and yet he had to run away from all of it and give it all up. Not only give that up, but give up the relationships with the people he has. So he's got nothing. He's out in the wilderness. He lays his head on a rock in the wilderness, and he sleeps. And then a really profound thing happens. This is Genesis 28. I'm going to start in verse 10, and we will read down through the end of the chapter. 
Jacob left Beersheba and he went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached up to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and pulled, poured oil on the top of it. And he called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come back again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. The words of the Lord. So we looked this morning at Jacob's dream and the words that God says to him. Through Jacob's dream, our Lord outlines an incredible plan that he has for those who have received his promises. And so if you are here this morning as someone who rests on the promises of Jesus Christ, someone who trusts in his gospel for all good things from God, Jacob's dream actually gives you a little foreshadowing of what is in store for you at the end of all things. What's God's plan for you? What's his plan for us? We're about to look and see some of these beautiful mysteries. So where we last left off, Jacob had run from his home. He's in the wilderness. He lays down with nothing. He puts his head on a rock as a pillow, and he begins to dream. And we look at the dream first. He sees an incredible thing. He sees a staircase or a ladder that goes all the way up to heaven. And then he sees and hears the Lord speak down to him. From heaven. He sees angels going up and coming down this ladder staircase in and out of heaven and down here on the earth to do their work. And we read about his response in verses 16 and 17. He awakes and he says four things. Surely the Lord is in this place. 
He says, how awesome is this place? He says, this is the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So he sees that staircase and this is what he's gotta say. This is an incredible place. This is the gate of heaven. This is the household of God. And one incredible thing that's going on here is this really shifts the whole story up to this point and the hope that God's people might have up until this point of the story. Now, let me back up and explain that because that, that may be a little lost there. So this story starts out one man and one woman in a garden, right? A garden paradise. And this garden, we have good reason to believe, is attached to the house of God. That was the expectation in that day. When someone had a big garden and commissioned someone to care for it, it was on the side of your house, like those fancy British houses that have like the maze with the garden in the backyard and that kind of thing, right? So this garden of Eden attached to the household of God. And in the cool of the day, the Lord would come out of the house and he would walk with them in the cool of the day. And there they are working that garden, commissioned to spread that garden over the whole earth, them and their descendants as time goes on. And the great tragedy, many of you are familiar with it, is that instead they rebel against God. So God casts them out of the garden. So here is the great tragedy of the Bible and the great tragedy of our lives. We're made to be near God in his place, but we're cast out of it. And because of that, we all die. So the story keeps going on. People are struggling. They're trying to find their way on this planet without God's presence with them. The genealogies begin, and Adam has a son named Seth, and then he lives so many years, and then he dies. And then Seth has a son and lives so many more years, and then he dies. And that son has a son and lives so many more years, and then he dies. And then all of a sudden, there's this one exception, Enoch. Enoch walks with God. And then Enoch was not because God took him. Oh, so maybe it's possible to go and be where God is now, right? Like we're stuck here, but Enoch evidently did something right and the Lord took him up to where he is. So if the Lord is up in heaven now and we are exiled from him on earth, the hope up to this point is maybe we will get to go up there and be with him. Then several chapters later, all of mankind amasses at a place called Babel, which is eventually going to be Babylon, and they build a giant tower in an attempt to get up, right, to heaven. Try to build it themselves and climb themselves all the way up to heaven. Because what's the goal at this point? We want to get up there where God is. Now, they're trying to do this as kind of an invasion and rebellion against him. So the Lord just ruins the whole thing for them. Whole long story there. Still, though, the goal is maybe one day we can get up there where God is. Maybe we can get up to heaven. And that's really the hope on a lot of people's hearts as we walk around, right? Most Americans would hope that maybe my life has been good enough that when I die, I get to go up there and to be with him. Now, through that lens, we look at this story. Here is Jacob. He wakes up in this dream. He doesn't realize it's a dream. And there's a staircase going up to heaven. There it is, a portal into the place that everyone is trying to get to. Okay, if it's you, what are you going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Run up the staircase, right? 
there's the path in. We can go up it. We can get in it. But that's not what happened, is it? No. And that's what makes the story so profound. It's not a portal for Jacob to get up into heaven. What's happening instead? The angels are coming down and going back up. So we're not going up to heaven. Heaven is coming down to us. Now that's different. And then maybe that sheds some light on what Jacob has to say. He does not afterwards say, surely I have died and gone to heaven, like we might say. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, right? And he says, not how awesome is the place I got to glimpse to up there. He says, how awesome is this place? And then he says, not look, I got to look into the household of God. He says, this is the house of God. And not, I got to look into the gates of heaven and I wish I had gone in, but he says, this is the gate of heaven. And that is the point of Jacob's dream. If we are hoping that one day we might get to go up there and be with God, God says, I have a better plan. I'm coming down to you. So the end of this story is not going to be we all get to be up there forever. No, the gates of heaven are coming down to earth where he will dwell with us forever. So that's the, the first promise that God is making there. Heaven is going to come to earth. And that changes everything about the way that we look at this home that we have. Now, this will become fulfilled in many ways throughout the Bible. It's a long story. You could think of this dream as an acorn, and that acorn is going to grow into a big tree throughout the scriptures. This is the first book of the Bible. We got 65 more. As time goes on, Jacob's descendants, Israel, they are going to become a great nation. They're going to be there in that place. And they will build a city called Jerusalem, which they'll call Zion, the heavenly city. And that city will have gates and people can go in it. Why would you want to go in that heavenly-ish city? Well, because in that city, there's a temple. There's a house of God here on earth. And so Solomon builds that temple and then he commissions it and he says, God, heaven in the highest heaven can't contain you, much less this house that I have built. And yet would you dwell here? And the Lord says, yes, in thunder and smoke and everyone sees his presence fill the temple and they're all filled with awe. So there is God's presence in his house on earth and you can go through the gates of Jerusalem to get to it. But even that was just a picture of what is coming, how heaven is coming down to earth. Eventually, the gates would be destroyed by the Babylonians. Eventually, the temple would be destroyed by the Babylonians, and they would just have to wait and hope and wonder what happened. But the prophet Isaiah would tell them of a day to come where there would be a heavenly city on earth, and he says, its gates will be open day and night. So they're just waiting, faithful people waiting. Oh, one day heaven will be here on earth and the gates of the city will be open day and night. We can go in and be with God whenever we want to. That is why 
what we celebrate at Christmas is so important. Every year Christmas comes around, and, and when we're in these parts in this room here, we marvel together, don't we, at just the great mystery. God became man, right? And we sing those songs, and we decorate the place, and just that's the wonder. Like, not that we could ever go up there and be with him, but that he would come down here as a baby boy and, and live and grow into a man that, that heaven would actually come to us. And the reason that's so important is in the first chapter of John, well, in other gospels, we learn this through nativity stories, right? The angel appears to Mary, that kind of stuff. In the gospel of John, it's different. We don't get those stories. Instead, in chapter one, Jesus will meet a man named Nathaniel. Really, Nathaniel will meet him is probably a better way to say it. And he will look at Nathanael and he will say, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, right? And people are really like, why did he say that? What's that supposed to mean, right? Well, when John writes something that feels like a one-off, it's usually an Old Testament reference. So in whom there's no deceit, who do we know in the Old Testament that's known for deceit or no deceit? Jacob, right? His name means deceit. And come to think of it, Jacob's name is going to get changed to Israel. And so Jesus says, a son of Israel in whom there is no deceit. So he's basically saying, here in this man Nathaniel is a son of Jacob who is not like Jacob. Right? That's what he means. That's God is thinking about Jacob. Because then Nathaniel's going to get all excited and be like, how do you know my name? How do you know my heart? That there's no deception in my heart? Like, who are you? And Jesus says, don't worry about it. I saw you under the fig tree, but here's the thing. You're going to see more important things than this. He says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending. And at this point, we're thinking, oh, Nathaniel's going to get to see Jacob's ladder too? oh, he's going to get to have the same dream and he's going to see that? Isn't that going to be so awesome? And Jesus says, you're going to see angels ascending and descending upon me, upon the Son of Man. He, he is saying as he says that, I am the ladder. I am the bridge between heaven and earth. I am the gates of heaven that have come down to earth. And I am the house of God that has come down to earth. How has heaven come down to us? How have the gates of heaven come down to us? In the person of Jesus Christ. All the glories of heaven wrapped up in a man who comes down and he says, my gates are open day and night. Come to me all who are weary and find rest. That means something for us. That means if you are on a search to find the way to get up to heaven, or if you are trying to build something that might get you all the way there, right? Do enough good deeds and maybe I'll get to go to heaven. Build enough hospitals and maybe I'll get to go to heaven. Rescue enough people, maybe I'll get to go to heaven. Find some ancient Eastern wisdom and maybe I'll know enough that I can reach nirvana and go to heaven. The good news I want to give you is that you can call off the search and you can stop the building because heaven has come down to you. And Jesus says that, that is me. I am heaven here on earth. I am God made man. And those gates 
are wide open. What he did for you while he was here was he died a death to pay for all the sins who would trust in him. And he just stands now, gates wide open, saying, everybody, come in. You want to be back with God again? You want to be reconciled with God again? My call to you is, is, is to run to the ladder that has come down to you. His name is Jesus Christ. Go through the gates that have come down to you. His name is Jesus Christ. And go there into the household of God whose name is Jesus Christ. Point is, heavens come down to you. Come to Jesus and you will find communion with God. This will continue on and be fulfilled even more in Jesus in the book of Revelation when we will read at last of Jesus' return to earth, and when he comes back here, there's a heavenly city that comes down, and guess what it has 12 of? Somebody shout it out. Gates. It has 12 gates, and they're open, it says, day and night, right? So you can go in and go out whenever you want to. So Jacob just gets a little flicker of that here, that God intends to come down to earth, build his gates, build his house here on earth. And not until Revelation, not until the end of all things, do we see that this is exactly what he does. That means that your great hope, if you're a believer in Jesus, is not that your story will end with you up in heaven, although we'll talk in a minute about how that will work. You may get up there. But your great hope in the end is that heaven is coming down to you and you're going to live here on this earth in the presence of God forever as we hear the final words, behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. All right, so the first part of this promise is, is that as much as we want to go up to heaven and be with God, heaven is coming down to earth. That is God's plan for us. Now, we're going to spend more time on this one than the other ones because this reverses so much of what American religion just kind of expects and hopes in. We're in a funny place right now as a country when it comes to religion. On one hand, we're getting like more and more secular, more and more people just not interested in God or just kind of denying that he exists. But all the other little elements of Christianity, a lot of them stay. And so there's still, uh, among the people around us, this hope that there's an afterlife, right? So no God there, but there's a heaven and maybe if I do good enough, I'll get to go there. That's kind of the general hope of American religion. Good people go to heaven. That's the end of the story. And if you were raised here in the States, there's some sense in which you were probably taught somewhere to expect just that. The funny thing is, when we picture it, sometimes our pictures of it are just hilarious, like... I mean, you can think of like the commercials or the TV cartoons where it's like two people are like sitting on a cloud and like they're having a picnic, but there's no food. Like, what's up with that? And a, and a baby with wings like flies by and, and then it has like a harp that plays like only three strings. And so it can only play three notes. And I'm watching thinking, 
There's no food up there. I'm just going to sit on the cloud, and the music instruments aren't even as good as ours here. No wonder nobody wants to go, right? Who wants to go there? And so it's no wonder when the pictures are that silly that, that most of our neighbors don't take heaven that seriously and just kind of run about their lives and do their things here because there's more interesting stuff here. There's stuff that needs to be done here. and There's gardens we can dig and there's good stuff here. So sometimes it gets real silly like that. There's the whole legend of, of St. Peter at the gates. You guys heard this stuff? Like, right, I'm going to go up to heaven after I die and St. Peter's going to ask me a question and if I get it right, I get to go to heaven. And I know some, there are so many people that are like, I hope he doesn't ask me about algebra, right? <laughs> like, because then I'm going to miss out on seeing the baby with wings, right? And then, then I don't get to go in and see whatever's in there. I mean, it, get, it gets silly, right? And it's no wonder that so many of our neighbors don't take heaven seriously. Some do, though, and some do for a really sad reason. Some do because many of us even have had someone that we love pulled from our lives by, by death. And so we're living in hope that maybe when this is over, I'll be up in heaven and I'll be reunited with that person. A lot of people live in that hope. That's so popular. It's actually a really popular TV show that, that just ended, just had its finale. And that was almost the whole premise of the show. It was one of these really unique shows. It told the story of, of one woman's life from childhood all the way to her death as an elderly woman surrounded by descendants, and, you know, that kind of perfect death that everybody wants. And you learned like halfway through this series, you knew how it was going to end. Okay, in a couple of seasons, she'll be an old woman and she'll die an old woman on her bed. They give you enough future glimpses of that that you know. And this woman lives a full, rich life, but it has a big tragedy in it. Her husband dies young. And so for this whole series, you're just hoping. They just put it in front of you, and you just hope. Maybe in the very last episode, she'll die, and Jack and Rebecca will be back together again. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Now, that resonates with so many people because that's, that's what's on a lot of our hearts, isn't it? Maybe, maybe. One day, I'll get to go up there and be with that person again. Now, the truth is, if you die before Jesus comes back and your faith's in Jesus Christ, you, you will go up to heaven. It'll be wonderful. It'll be a place where you rest and worship. And so, that feeling you have when you're drifting off to sleep, like, oh, that's how you're going to feel. And when you're at the heights of worship here in church, and it's just wonderful, you're going to put your hands in it, it'll be like that before Jesus. If the person you're thinking of is a believer too, they will be there. If they were your spouse, they won't be your spouse there anymore. You won't be married there. But a fully redeemed brother or sister is better than a fallen spouse. So it'll be a better union there, even though it's just brother and sister up there. But here's the thing. That's not the end of the story. And really nowhere does the Bible kind of dangle that before us as a final finish line and a final hope. No, heaven is just a, a holding area of rest and worship while we wait for the Lord to fulfill his plan. Revelation says there are people there right now crying out to God, how long, how long, how long, Lord, until you fulfill your plan, until he comes back here and heaven comes down to us. So the final hope in the Bible 
is heaven comes down and we live with him forever here in perfected bodies on a perfected earth. That is so different from the hope of our neighbors around us. And if we are honest, so much better for the dwelling place of God will be with man. What that means for you, if you're a believer, is that while you might look forward to heaven, if if you get to go there, if you do die before Jesus comes back, some of us need to shift our hope. Some of us are living right now just waiting for the finish line when we get to see so-and-so in heaven or just waiting for heaven, or some of us waiting for a rapture, right? And that's our finish line. It's over then. If any of that is your hope, what I'm pushing you to do right now is put your hope on that final day when heaven's down here and you hear those incredible words, behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. That's the finish line. That's the happy ending to the story. Heaven will be great, but it's not the finish line, and it's not the end. So that's the first part of this promise here. Heaven is coming to earth, and that changes everything about our hopes for the future. For the next part of the promise, let's look at verses 13 and 14. So at this point, Jacob has seen the dream, and he has seen God stand above him or above the staircase. And here's what God says to him partway through verse 13. I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you will lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. We'll stop there. So, Essentially, God is promising him something very similar to what he promised his fathers. He even says, I am their God. I'm the same God that appeared to them. Three parts of this here. He's going to have a lot of descendants, a lot of offspring, many as the dust of the earth. They are going to form a nation on that very land that he is lying on right there. We call it Israel today. And then, one day, they are going to spread out from there, west, east, north, and south, to cover the whole earth and bless all of the peoples of the earth. This will happen also in the remaining 65 books. Uh, Jacob's descendants indeed will, uh, they will form a nation, they will be many, they will plant right there in Israel, the Lord will do all that. And then, as I spoke a moment ago, Jesus will come down, he will, he, he will perform even this wonderful act of dying for our sins, he will proclaim the good news of the gospel, and he will commission his disciples before he leaves, go to all the world, and preach this good news to all nations. So there, we're sent out west, east, north, south, all over the world. In another telling of it, Jesus says to them, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even the uttermost parts of the earth. What are they doing? From there, from that moment, His followers spread out to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and they bless every nation in the world with the good news of the gospel. Paul will say in the epistle of Romans that those people, the church, the followers of Jesus, are the true Israel, the true sons of Jacob, the true offspring of Jacob. 
And indeed, that's exactly what happened. Some people followed Jesus and joined the Roman army, and it shipped them all over the world, and they brought the gospel there. And others had to flee because persecution, so they went to the east or to the west where they could be safe, and they brought the gospel there. And some traveled intentionally to spread the gospel, and they brought it all over. Here we are today on the other side of the world, spreading out even more and more. And that means that if you are here today, a believer in Jesus Christ, You are part of the fulfillment of this promise to Jacob. The true sons and daughters of Jacob right here, having moved to this place to bless this land with the good news of the gospel. I'm going to ask some of y'all to raise your hands. If you didn't, if you weren't born here, but you moved here, just raise your hand. I want to look around the room and see how many of us this is true of. Okay, this is maybe... 60% of the room that moved here. The rest of you, maybe your parents, your grandparents moved here. North, south, east, west. If the Lord brought you here, I wonder if you've ever considered that that move, north, south, east, or west, to come right here was part of God's promise to Jacob that his offspring would spread all over the world and bless all people with the good news of the gospel. What that means for you is that if the Lord moved you here, whatever direction you moved to come here, the reason that he did that was for you to bless the people of South Indianapolis with the good news of Jesus Christ. As you do that, you are a fulfillment of God's promise to Jacob through Jesus Christ bringing that gospel. Now, a lot of us here would say when it comes to personally spreading the gospel, when it comes to evangelism, we would say, I'm pretty bad at evangelism, right? If we admitted it, we'd say, yeah, I really probably should have spread the gospel like 10 times in the last year. I did it like maybe once if you count this one time. That's what a lot of us would say. And a lot of us don't understand why we're as bad at it as we are. Well, this isn't the full answer, but part of it is because we need to embrace this identity ourselves as having been brought to this place by this God in this dream to bring the gospel of Jesus to these particular people. That means if the Lord has you working in an office right now, Part of why he moved you into that office is to bless those people with the gospel. If he gave you certain neighbors right now, the reason you're there and not somewhere else is the call upon your life to bring the gospel to those particular people. If you're at a soccer field three days a week and there are the same people there, part of why the Lord's put you there is so that you can bring the gospel to those people. But part of doing it well is embracing that identity as one who has been brought there, north, south, east, or west, for that very purpose. So so the reason the Lord brought you here was that very thing, and that is why he has brought you to the places that he has brought you to. So our second part of the promise then is that before heaven comes to earth, his people will cover the earth and bless all nations. He is even doing that through some of you right now as you go about your lives. Okay, back to the story. Interesting thing here is that Jacob has just received all these promises. 
but he is sleeping on a rock with zero possessions to his name. Or maybe, I guess he's got one possession. He's got the rock. He's got that going for him, right? So he's gone from zero to one in this rock he has found. And God is telling him, your offspring are going to be abundantly blessed. They're going to be a nation. I'm going to bring heaven down to earth. And it's cool to hope in those things, but there's always this little sense in you that's like, well, what am I going to do right now? I have one possession and it's a rock that I'm putting my head on. You're going to give me any help today before tomorrow comes. And that's what the Lord speaks to next. This comes in verse 15. He says, behold, I'm with you. And I'll keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised to you. Okay, so he's got nothing. How is all this going to come true? The Lord says, my answer is that I'll be with you. That's what I give you between now and then. Until I have fulfilled what I've promised you, I will be with you. Jacob kind of represents God's people in these stories. And so when God promises him something, we got to ask, what well, did God promise me that? Right? I'm not Jacob, but I'm kind of Jacob. Did God, did God promise me that he will be with me? And we start to get an answer as we flip the pages and we see in the book of Exodus, God appeared to Moses and he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he says, I'm the same God that appeared to Jacob. He says, I want you to go into Pharaoh's house and redeem my people from slavery. And Moses says, how am I going to do that? And, and, and you won't believe what the Lord says to him. I will be with you. So because God's with him, he performs mighty miracles. There are plagues, the Red Sea parts. He does all sorts of incredible things in the desert. How does he do all that? Because God is with him. And then he hands things down to Joshua. And the Lord speaks to Joshua. He says, don't be afraid. Go in and conquer that land. And as you do, surely I am with you. And on and on with God's people, he keeps saying, surely I am with you. Surely I am with you. Until finally that fateful day comes when Jesus is standing up on the mountain and he is about to go up to heaven. And he tells us, the disciples, go to all the world, preach the gospel to all nations. And he ends by saying the very same thing. Surely I am with you. And so that means if the Lord moved you here, as part of his spread of the gospel, he, he's with you in that. That means when it gets crazy and you're like, well, how am I going to spread the gospel now? His answer is, I'm with you. When, when a pandemic rolls through and you're like, how am I going to bring the gospel to my office mates now? I can't even go to the office. His answer is, I'm with you. When you're trying to bring it to your neighbors, your neighbors get angry at you, and there's a rift between the two of you. Like, How am I going to bring them the gospel now? His answer is, I'm with you. As he was with Moses and the great miracles, as he was with Joshua, as he conquered the promised land, he is even with us now. So this is really two great promises that will help you as you try to deliver the gospel to the people you love. The one we talked about already, your, your being here is part of God's plan to bring the gospel to people. Not only that, though, the Lord is with you as you do it. So what should you expect? You should probably expect some miracles to happen. You should probably expect that one really hard-hearted person in your office might turn and come to Jesus if you share the gospel with him. Or that one person you thought you would never get an inroad to, but you, but you really want to bring the good news to them, you might actually 
get some miraculous inroad to them as you're faithful to bring the gospel to them. So that's the third part of the promise here. As we move north, south, east, and west, as we fulfill this plan God has of covering the earth and bringing the gospel everywhere, he's with us. And here he is even right now. So, all right, so we bring it home now. What do some of us need to do in response? Some of us, in regard to that first part of the promise, uh, need to shift our hope from hoping in going up to heaven to hoping in heaven coming down to us. It's a far better ending to the story. And some of us need to begin to set our hearts there where the Bible sets them instead of longing for an intermediate state or longing for something in between. No, long for the end of the story when heaven comes down to us. Others of us need to embrace that identity of being sent here to this place to bring the gospel to these people. And still others of us need to remember that the Lord is with us as we do that and will empower what feels like an impossible task of bringing the good news to them. We're going to pray now and ask the Lord to do that. Then we'll prepare for the Lord's Supper and we'll take the supper together. Let's pray now.